Nathan, we have Dobbies. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> uh, so, welcome, Michael Anthony Wright, songwriter, guitarist, writer, uh, creative facilitator, and all round nice dude. Oh, thanks. I finished off a nice dude there. I always try and get a wee <laughs> end for people, you know, when they come in. So, Tony, um, you were born in Balamoni. I was. And then, at what stage did you move then to the north coast? Well, it was pretty sharpish, as soon as they let me out of the hospital. <laughs> pretty much but did was, you get a pair of dms on straight away and just run it was just it was a pair it was on a skateboard just came flying out of me man just shot down, <laughs> shot down. just straight out onto the skateboard just like we just heel flip out just straight down to port stewart but no we were in port stewart because i was the second born yeah and so many was in your your the family is four of us. Four of us. So older brother. Just tell the world out there your your family set up then. Yeah, uh, my mom uh, and my dad, uh, Ursula and Michael, um, and my brother Dario, and he's three years older than me. Um, Dario, because as you can tell just from looking at me, clearly that I'm Italian. So, uh, like quarter time. Well, I could say to the people there, you made a beautiful meal there just for us earlier on there down in the kitchen, you know. Yeah, well, and you like to try people well. I, and uh, <laughs> what did you call that 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 meal that you put that first earlier on? That was a bowl of frosties. Lethal. They're great. They're lethal. Like I was me thinking I'll just get the man is gone and you landed with spaghetti, meatballs <laughs> and a big pile of tomato sauce. It was just going to start a fight to me. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so uh, growing up in the North Coast then, uh, what was that like uh, for yourself? At the time, I hated it at the time. I was just like, I need to get away from here where something's happening. You know, and it was like, it was poor... It was in Portstreet to begin with, and then moved to Coleraine, and it was just, and I, but I was still in school in Portstreet, so I was there all the time. But it was weird because it was just like that Smith song or that Morrissey song. Every day is like Sunday, yeah. you know, like just the seaside town when it's out of season. <laughs> you get the branching all the key oh, in the like video, flowers down the back, <laughs> slapping your back and all that. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, I'm not a racist. Uh, so <laughs> no, back then, I suppose. Um, for the port in general, for people like me up here, it would have been somewhere where people would have went in the summer. So was the yeah. other time of the year, was it sort of a bit darker and gloomier? Well, we, were there, we were there after Spuds had closed. By the time yeah. we came about, Spuds, Spuds was an old had, rock club yeah, just for Spuds people had to closed, know out there. So, there. so there was no venue or whatever. There was, ah. there was, Kelly started doing bands, so we had somewhere to go there. But I remember there was a music collective in Port Rush, um, and music was really the kind of, the, the way out as I saw it, not the way out of the area, but just the way out to meet more like-minded people and things like that, and meet Gap, people like at different schools, yeah, yeah, uh, and things like that, and music, and and the music collective. Like I, my first, I really started taking music seriously when I was fourteen. Yeah, like well, was, just when you're out there at fourteen, um, I, I, like I found it fascinating. Uh, your mother, yeah, taught you guitar at yeah. eight, eight years of age. Yeah. Just just when you're there. Uh, what would have been your first tune then you would have learned? The very first song I learned was Leaving on a Jet Plane by John Denver. So I bet you every auntie and uncle loved you. <laughs> Were you Still, like, do. Uh, Still do. And did they make you play it? Like, you know, there's one no, that's the, like, that's the thing, because everybody, there was one side, my mum's side of the family was very musical, um, but but it was totally a fluke that I learned to play guitar. It was an accident. Like, I went for orchestra tryouts at my primary school. And so what instrument did you play there? And I wanted to play violin. I wanted to go and play violin, and then and I was the only boy that went for the orchestra tryouts, um, 
and I just was never good at football. Like I'm pretty short now. I was really small then. Like I was a really small kid, and um, I wasn't interested in sports and things, as you can probably tell. And it's the creativity. I, well, I went along for like I went along for the tryouts, and they did the key test, where they would like play a note and you had to sing it. And I was the only boy and I was really embarrassed kind of like by it. And I still was like, you know, they were doing it. And so I fluffed the notes and the music teacher said to me, she was like, uh, she was like, I'm afraid you don't have a musical note in your body, Tony. You should stick to football. And I didn't like football or anything like that. So I was gutted and I was picked up from school and my mom could see I was upset. She was like, mm. how did it go? And I was like, oh, they said this. And she was furious because what sort of teacher says that to her? Well, kid? your mother just let up and just goes, that's well, my she, son. Was, and, you yeah, know and I mean? she was just, and she was just like, she went back to the house and she dusted down her old guitar because she had, you know, in the 60s was playing Joan Baez and Bob Dylan songs, things Deadly. like that, you know. Um, and then, so she dusted down her guitar and every day for a while, like we sat down and she would, like, she would sit with me and she had her guitar and they got me a smaller one and I would sit and just kind of, play leaving on a jet plane with her and then it would move on to Dylan and Joan Baez and things like that but it was all completely from her I, ne- I didn't I initially set out to go I'm gonna play the guitar yeah it just kind of happened and then when I was about 11 I got an electric and started listening to I was listening to like Public Enemy and Guns and Roses but then I heard Nirvana and it was like this is you know this and that, that let you up uh, yeah that let you up and yeah. and so I suppose um you didn't join the orchestra then? No, but in the school, the headmaster got wind of it. And our headmaster, our school, his daughter was Brina Corrigan, that was in the beautiful South. And ah, sang and yeah. all the time. She was my babysitter like, when no I was a way. kid. <laughs> my first ever memory is waiting for my folks to get back from seeing Springsteen and Slane. And my babysitter was Brina Corrigan. Is it any wonder I'm a musician? Just like, approve me! That's <laughs> approve me! Like, but, um, but yeah, so it was... Uh, he he heard, heard that I'd learned to play guitar and he was like, well, we don't have a guitar in the, in the orchestra. Let's bring Tony in. And he would sit me beside him to follow the chords because I couldn't read music and I still can't read music. So right. you're going by ear yeah, all the time? always been going by ear. And uh, so I suppose if, if um, you've had to hold on even more then to get it by ear, obviously if there's people out there, because you've done a lot of different work with different people of different yeah. styles and obviously some of them be reading music off a sheet. Yeah, but, but that's that's not an uncommon thing, and it, it's something that a lot of people that write their own music that they don't be able to read music. And there's very few of my kind of like you know people who discuss songwriting with that are very confident with sight reading and things like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. like some of them can do it and they will write that way. But I think yeah, because I kind of when I really got into it was in that grungy punk rock kind of DIY thing, so it seemed. That seemed like kind of was like no, I need to figure this out for myself. Yeah, um, and it was a better way. And you yeah, did. and I think my ears are stronger for it. Yeah, and so you mentioned there at fourteen years of age, then mm. you were. Uh, so did you sort of when uh, the collective as such started? Um, were you then? Did you get other who or like who was your mates growing up and how did that all you know? Well, there was like um, had, like um, <coughs> I was really fortunate, like like. The, the core friends that I had growing up, we all were kind of into music and going to bands and things, but other musicians were at different levels. And I went to Dominican in Port Stewart, and the band that had formed there, there was a surplus of guitarists, and I was kind of elbowed out. I, they were kind of like, well, you know, you're not as good as the other guitarists, so like... Uh, you're the only yeah. one still doing it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but that's the thing, and then we, like, I ended up, there was a band at Corey and Inst, um, and they were looking for a singer and somebody just kind of suggested, it's like, oh, that guy, Tony, 
like I think I, he played me some songs once. I think he I think he sings a little bit. So then I met up with these guys I'd never really met before. Um, well, I'd met them once at their old band's rehearsal. They used to rehearse in a, above a greengrocer's in Cool Rain called the Salad Bowl near the Diamond <laughs> that isn't there anymore. And so we went along and. You know, was there any anything to do with the <laughs> fruit or anything? They were called they were called head shrinker. <laughs> head shrinker. They, were, they were called head shrinker. I remember that. But yeah, we went along and then um, we uh, and then I met them and then went to a rehearsal at like one of their garages and we started and went in and we played. Everybody was into Ash and Oasis and things like that, and I was just being a bit. I was. I guess I was being a bit hipsterish because it was like, no, there's too many people know them. So I kind of was like, what about Sonic Youth and Fugazi and these bands mm. and stuff like that, whatever. Yeah. And well, they're th- they're they're bands that have like nearly like a cult following and have yeah and have uh, transported onto mainstream too. Exactly. But, uh, but Fugazi are one of them trailblazers of Just sound complete, and like yeah, complete, yeah. like they're the, the kings, the DIY yeah. stuff, you know, like whatever. And the, so we, so I suggested we did that and then also said and this was kind of weird at the time because we were 14 i was like i don't want to do covers it's okay us doing this here in a garage but i want to do our own songs yeah here's some of mine um and then would encourage the other guys right and they were great they would all come with ideas and and so there was bands playing and you you'd go to a gig of like some of the local bands and pretty much all the bands were playing the same songs (laughs) because they were doing oasis songs or nirvana or green day or oasis you so, could have went outside and uh, <laughs> had 14 Kurtz with 14 different exactly. people and come well, back in and then still heard the same set, you say. Well, Johnny, John Black, that was in the Faro, Johnny Adger, that was in Sochi from Faro, those two were in a band. That, like, I remember the first kind of Pepperbook gig that we played. And, uh, were they, they, they weren't in Pepperbook, were they? They weren't in Pepperbook, no. they, were in, like, they were slightly older. Um, like you were young then like, yeah like I was like I was the youngest of the scene or whatever everyone else was, a wee, was about Aye. a year older than me or whatever um, and but I remember that we played we played one Oasis song and they had played an Oasis song as well but but they said beforehand they were like this is how it should be played and we are like what? <laughs> so then we went up and just terrorised the place just so the, 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 the rivalry was there it was already the there but then we were kind of going well, you guys are all doing covers we did four covers, the rest were all originals. And how did yeah. that uh, uh, go down? And the, were people just sort of, was their mindset all about covers or were they, were, was think, it a place where you could try new I ideas? I think people were kind of like, cool. There was like, yeah. there was one older band called Carnivore 7 that were so cool. Uh, there was a guy called John Beckwell in that band that went on Sub 60, were a band like yeah. about 10 years ago and stuff that used to tour, used to play with Fighting With Wire and yeah. Zombie Safari Park and yeah. like that, you know, and Lafaro um, and a Zombie Safari Park were that was Chris. the that was the band yeah that ended up uh, years later kind uh, of because yeah. then when Pepperbook kind of but oh, sorry I'm getting ahead of myself but yeah it's like uh, the older guys in the scene or whatever <laughs> the older guys <laughs> are probably sixteen or seventeen they were, they were, they were eighteen <laughs> they were, 19, they were yeah. so ancient yeah. weren't they Tony <laughs> hey, well, they, 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 did, you, did you look up and go years are past this rock and roll well, they, they were still cool it was really cool to me but they they came over and went. This kid knows who Sonic Youth is. Yeah. Okay, and they're playing their own. Yeah, and your mother themselves. brought you up in great music too. Yeah, exactly. Your, you know, yeah, so it was all so it was all there and kind of, and then it was weird because, like I, when, I didn't drink really when I was a teenager or anything. Like yeah. all I cared about was 
was music and writing yeah. songs and my guitar and it was just yeah. I wasn't I was nowhere I were you a skateboarder or anything I tried but then or roller I, skits or it was kind of like when I figured which out, were the coolest roller skits or skateboarders going down by the skateboarders, port skateboarders, skateboarders. Did, they, did they have a sort of cooler locker water they were just know? a bit they were a bit kind of meaner and kind ah. of like they were a bit more like you were a bit kind of like if you were accepted by the skateboarders which I kind of was because I didn't I had a skateboard but I'd uh, never skate because I was scared of breaking my wrists uh, and not being able to play uh, um, and, so and that's was, that's definitely something that you would put you off doing it you know? that was it yeah did you ever attempt it did you ever go for that one wee spin and come oh, off yeah. or jump off and go oh look at that a few times a few you? times destroyed my elbows and wrecked uh, me and just like to uh, go into balls like did it. and I would use it as a mode of transport in places but it was very rarely that yeah. I would do tricks because it's not often you see the actual skateboarders themselves that are really cool and good at wearing any type of yeah you know, it's a, it's maybe a, it's a thing now, is it? That I think well, now what's really cool because, like, yeah, you never saw, you never saw girls skating yeah. when I was a kid, and now you, kind of, you see more girls skating than, than guys. It's great. Yeah, like, like, uh, but and down around, say the the port, but that that would have been a place probably that that seemed to happen a lot. You know, well, anytime yeah. I was ever down a few times over the years, and even back in the days, whenever. They used to have the gatherings with all the mod rockers and all that there, you know, and uh, like there was always skateboarding about, you know, and always things going on, you know. I think there was always, there was always, there was a yearly battle between the skateboarders and the milk cup footballers uh-huh. <laughs> that would come over. Oh, aye, that's the big, that's, that's the youth football championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aye, so they were trying to be all grungy and cool with their skateboards and these are guys were coming in their neck. They were super like, kind of, like healthy, kind of like, so aye, it was just you know. perfect. I'm Man United Junior, you know. <laughs> that's a real fact. <laughs> so there'd be some skater like and get like, all in young David Beckham's face and all this stuff. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, well, I suppose they were welcoming them to the, to their town. Yeah. You mentioned Paperbook there. Uh, and um, I remember myself a years ago uh, when I was in my own band uh, being on a, the Energy Fields CD. You were on that CD, Paperbook. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, John O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was like the Nerve Center one with like. Uh, John O'Neill, the whole thing was, old friend, was that. They were looking for, um, there was always this thing that the scene happened in the two main cities. Mm. I suppose a kind of a thing we would have been talking about and that reason maybe the festival happened in two, being in the middle of everything. Mm. So it was a case of then uh, John at the time, um, he'd, he would have been, when the Nerve Centre were in the early days, he would have been sort of like an advisor and been in and out, not full time, but maybe days and stuff. Yeah. And Because uh, I remember uh, studying up on it and he'd done the history of music, which was amazing, and showing me like, uh, how that a certain Motown song, he just speeded up and all of a sudden it becomes another song, mm-hmm. if you get me drift. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting. And he was all into Motown. And uh, I remember at the time, it was, uh, they were looking for rural acts mm-hmm. and... Uh, uh, that weren't city based, and because uh, uh, your name came up when to me, and then it, it clicked in me that uh, I don't know who you toured were. There was a, we did like uh, would have been there was a couple of gigs lookage, you had to do. Marty McGill, like Marty, he was in Luckage, and then I probably came through that maybe. Aye, yeah. Uh, so Marty and uh, so was Marty. Did Marty go out there and play with your band? Well, because there was Pepperbrook were we the collective the Port Rush Music Collective. One day a guy came to talk to the bands. And we didn't really take it seriously. We were just like, you know, like I was uh, a kid, you know, like uh, I, was, I was 15 or whatever. And I was just like, you were listening to Nan. Completely. Oh, yeah. You, and, uh, you had it sus. And then like, but we'd, we'd won a battle of the bands before that. And we got some recording time. And like any young band that's given 
five days of recording time instead of just doing a couple of songs we were like let's record every song we have uh, you know, but, but we were so well rehearsed like because yeah. because I, we rehearsed every day like we during the summer we rehearsed every day and then when we were back at school it was still three times a week we'd rehearse or whatever and then the summer it was every day so we were really really tight so when we did go in the studio we were just like yep cool yeah. so we recorded all that we gave this guy that came to speak at the music collective a tape I didn't even give it to him. Our drummer did, Graham. He gave it to him. And I, we didn't think anything of it. And then Graham phoned me one day, just kind of like phoned the house before mobiles or whatever, and just goes... Uh, just for people out there, Tony, that don't know what a, a phone is yeah, in a house. It was like, there was this like thing tethered and to it, the wall. And it rang flat out, didn't it? It rang flat out. Well, it did in our place because my parents went to chip. And I lived above everybody a in the house, would you go and get that? Would you go and get it? Would you go and get it? I couldn't because uh, we lived above a chippy. So it, someone else had answering because it was an order for the chippy. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> So it did ring up about you getting a recording. And really you're thinking, He's ordering a fish supper. The fish supper. Give me two battered sausages there and a chip, please. Lash hands off and I got a big man. And you getting the biggest break in your career at that time. And you're scared of the order and some big fry up. Well, this is the thing. He phoned Graham, our drummer, and then Graham phoned me, going, that guy really liked our stuff. And I was like, huh? Who? He's like, that guy, he was from BMG Music Publishing. And I was like, what? Like, they want us to go and record again. Some of the songs, and they want to sign us. And I was like, what? So they sent us, and they wanted to send us to the studio that they used. But we were like, no, 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 I want to use the guy that we recorded before, because we know him. So it was Einstein Studios in Antrim. Yeah. Frankie McClay. Yeah. So and we got on really well with Frankie. Like, who doesn't? And so went out and It's a very well known studio, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but at the time it really wasn't because it's was nineteen this is nineteen ninety six yeah. or something like, you know. So there wasn't just on, on that on that behalf there too, Tony, back then, whereas now there's a lot of access to recording. Be I like think it's important studios, that people man. know yeah. that there wasn't many studios. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, you had Homest uh, Mud Wallace. Yeah. And you had the we had Frankie's Frank, and, and there was another one. Um, there was Blast Furnace and Blast of theirs. Uh, there was the one where's the one on near Balamina uh, the really swish one uh, I'm not sure I know, it's in my head yeah uh, and, but that's not a lot yeah uh, and I suppose um, oh, there was there was Clive Culbertson's outside Corey yeah and then Neil, Neil Calderwood outside yes Neil's got his going but yes. these have been ones um, it's important I suppose for people out there to realise these, these are the ones up when you're talking about you're 15 years of age yeah. at this time, so and so then did you go then or blast furnace or did we you went go to, we stayed with Einstein <clears throat> yeah because um, what because we were like well in my mind I was kind of like well we just worked with Frankie he knows us yeah so we've got rapport there we'll get work done plus he's gonna look out for us yeah he's not gonna let some big bad Londoner come in and tramp all over us he will go. Hang on. Oh, I tones. Oh, I tones. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like he's kind of like he's gonna look out for yeah. kids. You know, like they're there. Because um, that's all you were then, was kids. I was fifteen. Yeah. You know? And then they would fly me back and forth to London and was doing GCSEs and all. It was at the time it was amazing. Like I'm uh. really lucky. I'm so lucky to have had that. You know. But then, it, but the thing was, they were doing that with Lookage, Martin McGill's band, and they were uh. doing it with a band called Co.UK UK yeah. <laughs> or whatever as well. Um, and then they ended up just going for Cutout UK and they kind of pushed Pepperbrook and Luggage to the uh, side. Where were they based on? They were Belfast based. Uh, Love, great, great <coughs> band, really good yeah. band, really, really good band. Um, and calling a band Cutout UK in the mid-90s was pretty ahead of its time. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, well, uh, I, there you are. Mm -hmm. uh, if it had been a website. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, but, but at that time, you would have been, um, I suppose, 
whether you knew it or not, you were learning, you leapfrogged into another part of the industry. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I suppose it's important for people out there that might be listening to this, Tony, as well. That that's good advice. You've just said something there that you could be young and you get cl- so close, and then it sort of mm. evaporates. Do you mm. want to sort of? I would, I would say that anybody at any age in the industry, because it's because it's never, you're, there's never a good, there's never a time. You're never too old to start doing whatever you want to do. Yeah. You know, whatever you want to go and whatever you want to pursue, you're never too old to do that. But one thing I've definitely learned the hard way um, is be honest with everybody up front, you know, because not everyone's going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Look out for your, yourselves and look out for your friends and treat each other right. Talk things through. Write th- agreements down. Make mm-hmm. those agreements early on. Don't stab your friends in the back. Yeah, and I suppose um, what you're saying there and and what you've said there is the ideal solution. But when you're young yeah. and uh, someone uh, swans you to England, uh, to be honest, you just want to rock and roll. And uh, uh, there's an element of, you mentioned there, GCSEs. Like, yeah, I fluffed mean, them I've, totally because I was going back and forth. And yeah. you've met, and you, uh, uh, like when I said earlier on, you're a... A creative facilitator. You are someone that works with Marty McGill. You, you mentioned Marty earlier on, and uh, are now passing on your skills to young people for what you've learned in the industry. And a lot of people wouldn't actually know that story, you know, out there yeah. probably about yourself. And I think it's uh, a credit to you that you, you know your talent is high. Whenever people are swanning back and forward. <laughs> well, and it's like I've been lucky to, like Shannon O'Neill from Sister Ghost is like one of the people I mentored years ago, and then. Row as well, like yeah. as, as well, but it was clear when those two walked in the door that they were pretty much the finished articles already. Yeah, <laughs> but know? I, but I suppose it's that sort of. I think it's maybe important them interceptions for that sort of non-bruising effect that might happen to you mm-hmm. going through it without any advice, if you know what I mean. Completely. Well, I was lucky enough to get to get good advice in certain places. You know what I mean from certain. But there's always going to be people out there in any walk of life that are going to try and take advantage of. I they'll, they'll you know. misconstrue the yeah. the information you're getting, mm-hmm. and well, that's really good. And I suppose then that kind of leads on uh, from you were uh, in the port. You had uh, your skateboarding experiences. You were never going to turn professional <laughs> on that. You said, uh, and uh, but because uh, I know just on skateboarding behalf, I used to know people from the town that were older than me, and there was a couple of guys, and like they take some chances, like you know, oh, yeah. I've seen a guy go down the road flat out just to get on the back of a, a trailer, you know, to catch on to the trailer, and he made it and all, like yeah. you know. But the same person was doing um, wheelies on the old uh, chopper bikes, you know, we small wheel, big wheel, and so maybe some people have just got that That's, thing they'll go for it. You I know? have I have trouble walking. In a straight line, so, like <laughs> in a skateboard, it's not going to And it is the weekend now. There's a lot of people be walking <laughs> in a non-straight line. Uh, but so in 2004, um, you were the fountain member of uh, So Watching From Afar or one of the fountain members of whatever way I want to put it. And you were uh, the first two albums. And that would have been around the time, I suppose, um, like... Uh, you were talking about paper book, or, uh, it sort of dawned on me back in the era with that CD, mm-hmm. Energy Fields with John and all, and then you're telling that story there about being the age you were. I think that's phenomenal. But you started off, how did that come about? And uh, like, obviously there was friendships there. Uh, you, you grew up with people, or you mentioned earlier on uh, Johnny mm-hmm. and Chris, uh, uh, Safari. 
Zombie Safari, Safari Park. Because I actually think I, I got an EPN and I actually think I said it to the guys that I got an EPN and maybe <laughs> I don't think they got in the best one. <laughs> uh, but that's, uh, I got a lot of things and a lot of people uh, seem to hit me about certain things. But it's obviously there's only so much room. And, uh, and I did fast forward so many years later, um, uh, redeem myself, uh, you know, <laughs> the headline slot, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so, no, going back to that then, uh, the first album and so watch from far and then uh the you were in the second album uh gangs gangs uh so like at that time um for the, the style of your band uh uh going back to earlier on when you said about some of the inspirations you had uh i suppose like uh and you were a singer as well and all of a sudden you founded a band and you decided uh if there was very little singing only maybe the we chant yeah. uh like nearly a, a wee mantra, a wee like a cult yeah. mantra type thing. Uh, so, how did that all come about for you? And because uh, you would have still been the youngest, obviously. Well, no, and, and so what you, I was second oldest. Second oldest. oldest. You're big boy then. You're yep. big. I was the yeah. I was the was the one around the been around the block. Johnny was the oldest at that point. Uh, Johnny was the second bass player in Pepperbrook. I brought Johnny into Pepperbrook, and then, like fast forwards when Pepperbrook had kind of fizzled out a little bit because other members went to uni and things like that and just woke on with their lives, you know, uh, grew up, you know, uh, you know, and kind of just went, but I was still... Grew up of, on a different path. Yeah, it, yeah, some of them wanted to go to, some of them wanted to go to uni and pursue different things. Yeah. It was totally fine. Yeah. Know, like, we were kids, we were just learning, uh, learning, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm a lifer here. So I thought, anyway, so I was just uh, like, that's what I'm doing. And, um, and then... There was a cover, like, uh, there was a couple of guys I knew in Port Rush or whatever, and there was a guy called Donkey, who was the bass player, who became, the, who was the bass player in Zombie Safari Park, but there was, but he Did was he like, talk, Team Fresh? Yes. Ah, like, yeah. Um, yeah. And, but he would basically was saying, was like, you should come round and jam with me and my friends, whatever, and so I remember going round, and I'd met Rory maybe twice before, um, I'd met because Rory and Chris had been in a band when they were young that opened for Pepperbook, like in whenever we were the old people in the scene uh, or whatever. You were a veteran then. Yeah, you were 15. You were so ancient. Exactly. Like, I know. And, uh, but we had to tell that like the bouncers were going to kick them out of Kelly's after they played. And we were like, no, no, let them stay and got them pints and all that. <laughs> and, uh, but then, but yes, yeah, so I went along and again, it was the same thing. They were a cover band and we saw, and like sang some Deftone songs and things like that and or whatever, like if, Foo Fighters track or something, you know, and like uh, then again, I was like, okay, this is fun. It was like, but I'm not interested in being in a covers band. I like, I only want to do my own material or our own from material the, from the very start. Tony, well, like, you seem to that's that yeah, was your goal, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. just kind of like it's besides as a, as a hack as well. It's <laughs> it's if you mess up your own songs, nobody knows. <laughs> Massive uh, a cover, everybody knows. Uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, but I was just like, that's covers are great and they're good fun and things like that. But, my, but I enjoy creating. So when something. you were when you were creating uh, with uh, and saw watching from afar, who um, who had built an ethos and you have that ethos. You know, you don't build an ethos just in one member of a band or two or yeah. three or four. You were there too, and and uh, so how did then you sort of. Because I'm sure the people out there listening uh, will be interested. From you, just we're just going to be uh, like a, a an instrumental band and uh, a powerful one at that. You know what I mean? And uh, like, uh, there's no hiding from that. And so I suppose, how did you just come about then the sound or well, that you know, was 
Zombie Safari Park was still going, but me and Chris moved to England. Chris was going to do three years in Newcastle, um, and I was going to Liverpool for a year because the girl I was seeing at the time had moved to England, and they'd be close to her. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Liverpool and went to Lippa um, for a year. That's a the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, Performing Arts, McCartney's place. So yeah, yeah. So I went there and. And what was just for people out there? Um, what what was that like? Because uh, I often hear about I you know Paul McCartney School yeah. of Music is all I, I kind of know it, and uh, I know it's a it's a sort of a contemporary place set up for original content and the different parts of the industry. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. It's kind of like it's music, TV, film, theatre. Yeah. But it's all. The stuff that goes on in the background, the business of it, and yeah. stuff like that, whatever. In theatre, like there'll be whole courses for people that are only doing set design and things yeah, like that, whatever. And there'll be people that are like just going down the directing route uh, and music, costume be, design, and all yeah, these things. Yeah, with music, it could be production, or it could be yeah. performance, or it could be writing, or it could be you know like a radio or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like well, they would, there was it was an amazing place. Like and it was, and, it was great, but at the same and, time, it was since I can't read music, I had to do extra work to fill out my. Uh, oh, your 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 exam uh, yeah. report and uh, so that was that but when was I was there. That was when I first started hearing instrumental rock bands. A friend played me some stuff, and I formed an instrumental rock band over there with some friends called My Kin Variant, and that was me, guy Matt from Stoke, who still work with from time to time. Like My Kin Variant. Guys. It sounds like a like a you know like. A, like it's, it's sort of a medical uh, yeah well I didn't thing. come up with a name uh, you can always like a zombie safari park and like a flu or something <laughs> yeah I've got the, what do you call it again the my kin? kin as in you know your kin uh, your oh, brother the my kin variant oh variant oh, I get oh, you get you oh. but it was me Matt from Stoke Chris from Norway and Nathan from Scotland and we would sit up in the we would go to the college building and jam all night, you know, whatever. And it was these weird things. Because everybody had jams. the one love in a place to get us to play music and get together in a yeah. room. Isn't that right, Tony? That's it. That's, that's yeah. what, like, and then I was discovering all these new... I was a completely new city, didn't know anyone. And it was just all these different influences suddenly coming in. Because I'd just been... It was just I'd, a, lived, I'd lived in Belfast maybe uh, for six months before that, but I'd pretty much just been in the Triangle, like uh, Port, Port Stewart, Port Rush, uh, you know, Coleraine area my entire life. And then, suppose, Tony, you, you're, you're also coming from um, what is, I suppose, uh, compared to going over to a bigger city, like a small sheltered town as such. Oh, going, totally. and, uh, so yeah. there's going to be... Uh, you're going to see uh, a lot of cool people wearing a lot of cool stuff, whereas, you know, being in a certain area, you couldn't wear that, or, you know, you yeah, couldn't wear like, that, but... Well, like in Portstreet, I would have been the weirdo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whatever, like, but known, so it was fine. But uh, like in Liverpool, like, you know, I was nowhere near the weirdo. Uh, like, you know, everybody could, like, was, like, I was the most You came from here, world. you were yeah. sitting out over there, It was you were normalised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bastards. Until uh, you got your first big jumper that came down over your, over your fingers. Just like pulled my thumbs uh, through that part. Just <laughs> look at my groovy jumper. But uh, I, when I was there, I, I remember I came back and said I remember saying to the guys was kind of like listen to this yeah what kind of bands and, in were well it was explosions in the sky godspeed you black emperor mm -hmm. um and stuff stuff like that johnny had kind of gotten into a band called mono or whatever like a japanese instrumental band around a similar time but i basically we were going to have a zombie safari park rehearsal one day and the other guys couldn't make it and i and i had brought 
Johnny always came along with us anyway, just mm-hmm. have a carry out because he was just a friend. And he was just uh, like there, and Johnny was the older one, like whatever. So he was. So he was louder drink. He was sixteen. Oh, uh, <laughs> at this point, Johnny was sixty-two. Uh, <laughs> for people out there, just to say, uh, I think illegal age of drinking is eighteen. Is that yes, right? Yes. So uh, what actually he had was uh, well, I can't even say. We were, no, at this point, we, at this point, we were all over eighteen. So it was great. Uh, I was going to say uh, uh, alcohol free, but it wasn't even invented in the last few years, so that'd have been a lie. Uh, so sorry, Johnny. Go ahead. Well, Johnny kind of Johnny began into that, and then I introduced these sort of bands to them, and and then said we should do something like this because uh-huh. nobody, as far as I knew, nobody was doing that. Well, there wasn't, in Ireland. you know, well, there the were, Redneck I, Manifesto were, but we uh, didn't know about them uh, or whatever. Uh, but they, like I know the Redneck AMC in Belfast uh, as well, but we didn't know about them because we were just uh, in the north uh, coast. Because uh, I remember hearing them in both bands here saying their the demos, and, and I think one of them played the festival. So then you had to mix the music, and then it was. Let's get down here and do the first album, and because uh, you were influential in the first album and the second album, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so then when um, that would have been your first, probably you know you were in as you say the other bands, and then you're all of a sudden so watch you were starting from scratch. You had the whole experience of flying back and forward, so you knew a good bit, and you were at the Paul McCartney School of Music. So the business side, you would have been a bit savvy, I suppose. Yeah, well the because we we met. Andrew Ferris kind of schooled us on Aye. a little bit, you know, um, things like that. And then we got a publishing deal. And the ultimate irony of the publishing deal was it was the same guy that that had pursued Pepperbook. And then Andrew Ferris got in touch with him for So Watch From Far. And I remember being kind of like, I don't know if I want to work with this guy because he nearly destroyed me by just disappearing when I was a kid after building me up. So much. Yeah, but I, I, but, but and I was just kind of like I don't know if I want. But then Andrew Ferris was quite kind of going, Tony. If he's putting a cash injection into your band, you, you'll uh, you'll swallow yeah, it yeah, and kind of go there. Yeah. And besides, that's kind of I think I think he felt a bit kind of like I, I kind of need to make it up to this kid for mm. what I did when yeah. he was fifteen, sixteen. But not to say like he was obviously very into the band as well, whatever. Like, but but if there hadn't been that kind of breakdown in communication between Pepperbrook and BMG um, in the 90s, then I don't think it's all what you, Sony, Sony ITV would have happened because it was the same guy. So there you go. And uh, so, um, so always for people out there, what would you say? Like, you know, that I saying goes around, comes around, isn't that it? You know, and at yeah. the end of the day, you were uh, obviously dramatically affected. You were obviously really young and it, it, nobody can tell what kind of effect that have on your emotional uh self but this guy came back yeah. and all of a sudden from wherever you were there he's back now with a a golden book is this mm-hmm. is a golden ticket and uh so obviously then um, um just for people out there uh to be aware that uh, andrew ferris was the founder of small town america yes independent record label I'm and in Cahar, <coughs> or in Cahar, yeah. and uh also uh one of the main people in Jet Plane Latin, mm-hmm. another independent band that done a lot of touring. Oh, they led the they led the groundwork definitely. <clears throat> so you you then took off and you built up from So Watch You, uh, and uh, and then obviously after the first two albums, you decided that uh, um, you would try your own style, your own material, whatever you were going to go. So your first album uh, uh, was uh, first chorus verse. Yep, uh, and. Uh, it was produced by Ian Archer, isn't yep. that right? Um, and it also made the shortlist uh, for the um, 
NI Music uh, did, Prize yeah, yeah. of the Year, yeah. And how did that all feel then? You know, you were coming from, um, uh, just for people out there, you were coming from a, a band, a unit, a band of bars, out flat out, doing the tours all over the show. Uh, and uh, then you started uh, first chorus verse and uh, your first album came out and it got great reviews and uh, yeah so what was that like putting that album together for yourself and how influential was Ian uh, Archer I suppose people should be aware that Ian Archer was uh, an influential songwriter with Snow Patrol is that yeah. right back mm. in the day and uh, I think now big kind of Ivor Novello winning songwriter and producer yeah and uh, was there at a few of their biggest hits the world doesn't need to know what they are Tony because they probably know already yep. it's a bit like that uh, uh, alcohol drink uh, uh, story I must try some of this alcohol drink <laughs> uh, you're on earlier on about there with a lemon in it that we can't refer that zesty stuff a reference to back to the name some boy stole your name uh, but uh, so what was it like then working with an Ivor Novella award winning producer and what does that take and how what kind of level do you need to be at to approach someone like that? Uh, again, I was so, so lucky to work with someone like Ian. Um, it was Davy Matchett who suggested it. A gentleman. Like uh, from the third bar. Yeah. After I left the band, like uh, and all the fallout from it and the drama from it, Davy kind of shielded me and kind of helped me continue you know did you feel a bit shell-shocked after the, that happened Tony or were you know, was oh it, it was I didn't know it was being announced that the day it was announced even like I knew it was happening but I didn't know when it was I had to I was asked to prepare a statement and I wrote a statement and I was quite vague in it um or whatever that would be quite difficult to imagine it was horrible uh, you know like yeah. uh, it was like it was awful yeah but so much that had preceded that was even worse. Aye. So I had to. Well, what people I had need to save myself. Aye, yeah, and totally right. Yeah. And what people need to know is that when uh, you're with somebody twenty four hours a day, um, and you're out there, and you're and especially in the craft of, of being in a band and touring and all that goes with it, the people might just see the band. Um, on the hour of the gig, and uh, but they're not knowing about the 14 hours travel before that and trying to focus and keep focused from the night before and all the things that go with it. So I suppose it does give you, I suppose, an opportunity to, to maybe whatever you're feeling to get it down in your first album. Is that all right to say? Oh, definitely. And, yeah. uh, and so you were, where was it recorded with Ian? Well, it was recorded in London, but it was like <laughs> Ian had this little studio that was in a, <laughs> it, was in a, it was in a church but it was the bell tower it was where the bell used to be it was like the bell tower but it had been removed and then changed but we would go up these windy stairs and then the two of us would go in this wee door and Ian's only like you know he's about the same height as me maybe a wee bit taller but so we'd just be like these two wee hobbits kind of going in this wee studio door and and then just sitting. Did you break into the Tower of London? Maybe you didn't realize. Maybe we did, yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh, but it was, it was great because I remember we recorded one song downstairs in the church, like whatever. And I was like, just put microphones everywhere so we can get like how the massive sound of it, things like that. But Ian, Ian was brilliant because he taught me a lot, and he, and he was, and he made me feel so welcome, which was something I hadn't felt in such a long time musically, and. Mm. And he made and he encouraged my ideas again to have a musician telling you you're great as opposed to telling you you're worthless. Mm. 
you know. He energized you again. Yeah. He brought back the voodoo back into you. And uh, I suppose, in a sense, uh, you would have been... Uh, were you apprehensive putting out your first album solo on your well, own? Well, I recorded it in 2012 and it didn't come out to 2014. Yeah. You know? And I suppose that, for yourself, was that... Um, like anything traumatic, uh, I suppose you had to build up your strength again. And I was because remember when the whole drama leaving the band, I'd been assaulted in Vienna and stuff or whatever, and it was like there was a PTSD from that and all this stuff. And yeah, like uh, I think I'm still kind of recovering. Aye, that was yeah. your accident, wasn't it? You were well, yeah, it was like the last, <laughs> the last weekend I was like, the last weekend I was a gigging member of the band. Yeah, like uh, we played Vienna, and then I got assaulted. And like had a couple of broken ribs and all this, or whatever. But were you out in your own or water? I yeah, know we're eating a bit this, Tony, but just yeah, I went out. Always... We were all staying in a hostel and it was a bit frosty. Um, and I went for a walk because I felt friendlier in the streets. So mm. I went for a walk and kind of, uh, and then I went to a bar and there were some people at the bar that had seen us play at the uh. festival. So I sat and I was just like, oh, and like. They were really friendly and just sat and had some drinks with them. Then I was walking home and I got the shit kicked out of me by these two guys and two broken ribs. And Did they just come out of nowhere or what? No, they were bouncers at a bar, but they were a bar I hadn't been in. It was the uh. weirdest thing. I, I, <laughs> like I have to hold my hands up as well. Like if there's, I have this thing. If, I, if I've had a couple of drinks... I would tend to like sing to whatever I was listening to in my headphones, uh, <laughs> whatever yeah. you know, whatever, and not even think about it. But so I was doing it, and I kind of was like walking in the street, and it was about eleven o'clock on a Saturday night, and um, but everybody in the bar, the cell, we were all enjoying. People were high fiving me as I was going by. I was going, yeah, and then I looked across at these bunchers across the road, and they were shouting something at me, and I was like, oh, and I took off my headphones, and they were, I was like, what? And they're like, shut up. And uh, everyone, and I just kind of went get, and flipped the guy the finger or whatever and just uh, like walked on. Next thing I know, I went flying into the window because Buncher had ran over and smacked, like, no punched way. me. And then he went back over and everyone was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I was just like, yeah. But since I was a wee bit drunk, I should have known better. But I took out my phone and went, I'm calling the police. Uh, That's assault. I'm phoning the police. I shouldn't have done that because then the two of them just chased me and they were like, run! So I just like legged it down the... It was like something of a film. I was running down the back streets of Vienna. I ran so fast, Paddy, my shoes came off. I thought you were going to say your <laughs> shoes became on fire. <laughs> I ran so fast, I ran back in time. <laughs> Did you quantum leap back to Port Rush in the middle of it? Suddenly back to go, okay, Tony, you, you, in a few years, someone's going to tell you to go to Vienna. Don't go. <laughs> so, so, but, and I'm sure you had some, uh, like, I know you've, like, there's that experience and all, which is, which is brutal, but like, but I'm sure you had some good tours, you know, you, oh, you, you know, you, you, you had some, like, where would have been sort of, I suppose, uh, in the soul watching from far days, where would have been your best gig or what would have been the most exciting gig you would have done or uh, the, the that year that I left started off pretty well we were in Russia and that was amazing mm. like that was the for the two and a half weeks that we were in Russia I think it was probably the closest we ever were as a band because we only had ourselves and we couldn't really chat other people could speak English and things like that but we were still very much like this is a total culture shock yeah, um, and and how was the audiences out there? You know, some people. I saw people say that certain European audiences just stare you, and then they give you the 
deadliest round of applause at the Sometimes end. Sometimes that can happen, yeah. Like, and, but is that a strange phenomenon, do you think? You know, over here, people just get I into it and get you know, sweated up and jump about and, and all that there. I'm sure there's our countries that happens, but, but it's just some artists would say that certain places they're just dance staring at you but they're really into it you know? I, no I definitely I, th- I found that kind of in Germany a bit but not at festivals but like club dates but then again the original kind of and so watch you gigs and things like that most people did kind of look at us kind of like going, what is happening here ah. because the songs were so long and there was four guys going bananas on stage yeah. which wasn't always which wasn't the thing bands always did yeah like and oh you get the an individual yeah. like the singer jumping on the monitor yeah. and all, but you you could have jumped off the stage at it, any time too the, the four of us kind of uh, going out, so it was something that in pepperbrook i'd encouraged or whatever i remember going on tour with clear shot which was like fighting with wire yeah pre-fighting with wire and yeah and I remember to kind of like they were pretty energetic and then after we turned with them, next time I saw them, they were going way nuts. And it was like, no, oh, uh, yeah. like, Cahar will probably deny it completely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, but, that's, uh, but that's kind of He has like, a habit of standing still, hasn't he, Cahar? He, uh, he did, he uh, did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, like, but playing them places, you know, for yourself, uh, like, and coming from a, a small town in the North Coast, it must be amazing to go around and have them different audiences to play to. And you had, uh, as I say, you've then... With your new the your verse chorus verse chorus album came out and what was the plans there then and I know it, you seem to be out all over the place and there seemed to be a lot of shows like you were on different kind of just kept going because yeah I don't know really how to do anything else uh, yeah. like there's everything about this I know lots of little avenues like I can record or like you know I can route a tour and all those things whatever. But the performance and no, the the performance and the creation of music is the is the fun part. Yeah, you know whatever. So, like, and I just kind of was like, I remember one of the first shows I did after I left the band was, was in the Rushin Dove in Galway. Yeah, that's a real cool venue. Great place. Yeah, and I was opening up for a guy called John Vanderslice, who like was. Uh, he used to produce like Neutral Milk Hotel and all these kind of like very cool guy. Um, but I was going to play that. And I remember I was bricking it because it was kind of just... Because there's was, always a crowd in that bar. Well, I was, kind of, I was bricking it because I was kind of going, what have I... Like I've walked away from this thing that I've built over the past five years. I've been kind of like... Been, I've walked away, kind of pushed away from this thing that I've built over all these years. And now everybody knows me as this guitar player that goes nuts in an instrumental band. Yeah. And now I'm like with an acoustic guitar singing it's these more songs. more yeah. yeah, and kind of like, and it's, there's nothing to hide to get behind. There's yeah. nothing kind of, there's no big light show. There's no big energetic thing. It's not a, a, an assault of the senses. It's yeah. the only thing. 40 pedals. Yeah. Uh, it's just the songs. Yeah. That's it, you know, and your yeah. voice, that's yeah. it. And it's kind of daunting, you know. Um, and, but I was, determined because that's how it started that was like when my mum had taught me how to play leaving on Jeppelin and that was I you sort of went full circle yeah, yeah. I kind of went back like to that but I remember I got I was got I was going past the machine there was this big queue outside and I was like there's a queue here which huh. there would have been if I had been in and so what you get again uh, and I was like everything's gonna be okay uh, <laughs> everything's gonna be okay and like I was amazed and then like I was walking up like past the crowd and was like not one person's kind of been like <laughs> going, oh, there's Tony. And so like, it's like my ego taking a, a battering serves me right. And I, 
Do you think and, a lot of people were know, expecting you to come the, out like this so is the much? thing? What I, I thought I thought they were all there for me. Turns out Tommy Tiernan was doing a secret set. Uh, <laughs> so, they were, so they were all queued up for Tommy Tiernan. <laughs> and I remember just that, like, bizarrely after that, when I figured that out, I was like, all oh, right, okay. I remember standing in the bar and I was like, Spur, Spurs were playing a Europe, the Shamrock Rovers or whatever, like an Irish team, whatever. So I was kind of like half watching that before I played. And I just heard this voice saying, what's the score? And I turned around, it was Tommy Tiernan. And, and so what you from afar had done a chat show with him. There you go. So I turned around and he, and he was like, ah, it's yourself. Like he just, <laughs> he didn't know who it was, uh-huh. but he recognized me, you know, like for whatever. But I was like, oh, Tommy, like, uh, and I was wearing this stupid deer stalker hat sort of thing. And, and he's like, oh, so are you here with the lads? Uh, I was like, oh no, I've, sorry for the terrible accent. I was like, uh, I was like, oh no, actually like, I'm not, I'm not with the band anymore. And he went, oh, and are you awfully sad? And, and I was like, a wee bit sad, but what, why do you ask? And he was like, so you're wearing a very sad man's hat. <laughs> Bye! And then just walked off. <laughs> and look, even being up uh, for the nomination in the NA Music Prize, did yeah. that feel good then too with the first album? You know? oh, everything, everything felt so numb for years, Paddy, I'll be honest. Um, I was... I was scared to go to it in case I'd run into my old bandmates. Something like uh, it was like Belfast became scary for me because it just seemed like I was just in the shadow of this huge big triangle. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. But but the yeah. thing was, you were you were an influential part of that triangle, uh, and uh, you should never think that you're not. Uh, oh, I never have done, but I've, but I've been made to feel like like I'm not. You know, I've been made to. F- feel excluded from my own history uh, and yeah, things, which yeah. isn't pleasant. Yeah, know? I know. And, uh, well, that's where, I suppose, uh, um, you uh, had a book out. Uh, <laughs> people should know when I say they're on, you're a writer. Uh, um, uh, there's two names for it. I'll take a respectful <laughs> one, right? Because um, uh, you can't say the other one because it be, it sounds offensive to say it back to you in the podcast. <laughs> uh, so the book was called First Course Verse. And chapter and verse, chorus, verse. Chapter and verse, chorus, verse. And uh, if you didn't like that title, you could call it... Another Decade on the Road. Another Decade on the Road. <laughs> and uh, So that was a, a, a book that had a, to look at the insight from yourself, from being young. And uh, how did the, uh, the idea of that come about, you know, to, to actually, you know, like people say about writing books that they write, maybe some people write a memoir when they're whatever age, but uh, you were straight out there. Did that help you get a lot off your chest? Kind of. It didn't, it didn't. But it wasn't why I was doing it. No. I was kind of doing it. I did it initially to try and sort things out in my own head. There was no kind of like, I'm going to write a book and publish it. That wasn't uh, the plan. Yeah. Um, but then... It was more a self-healing uh, yeah. journey type for you then. Yeah, it was kind of like, it was therapy for me in a way, you know, kind of like yeah. going think about things. Because like only a little bit of the book is kind of history. Yeah. The majority of the book is about this strange trip that I took in America where yeah. I started... It was like an early midlife crisis or something, but it was me piecing together these strange journeys that I'd taken throughout my life that had now led me to this place. And then this strange line of coincidence that happened for my first day in America that lasted to the, the last day, five weeks later, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, um, and, and so I suppose for, for people out there... Um do you want to tell a wee nugget or anything about? The, yeah, the, like a, you know, a, a, just a, so, and and I should say to people out there that uh, 
the book's still online. Unfortunately, I've taken it off for the meantime. Well, I, ch- I have to change some things in it. Unfortunately, Unfortunately. the book is not online at the minute. It's but offline. I'll tell you what, the book is, the, look, the book's drying out on the line at the minute as we speak. Uh, because uh, that's the way you do it, people. Well, you know, before there was all these fancy printers and all drying things out, you used to hang the book off the line and the book dried out. You know, that's how it and, works. And that's how it works. That's so at the minute... It's not online, it is on the line. On the line. All right, just so people know the difference, all right? And <laughs> once it comes off the line, we will be the first, Tony, won't we, of to course. speak and say that it's off the line now, it's dried up. Yes. And it's back out there. It's back there. Beautiful. And uh, so, but, and that was a time of touring and all too. Uh, mm-hmm. So what, like in America, uh, obviously you go from... Uh, you know, small town, you moved, you mentioned to Belfast there, you go to the School of Music in Liverpool with Paul McCartney, and then you land in the grand old US of, US of A. And I'm aware that you've went as with So Watching From Far and mm-hmm. with the, the Nashville songwriters, you were part of well, that. Well, I didn't way. go with Nashville songwriters, but I went to Nashville ah. and I didn't. I, I, Nashville was strange because, like, it's an amazing place. Yeah. But I think I've, I've always felt. I think most people do to a certain extent, but I've always felt kind of like an outsider or whatever, like, and that's kind of with any of the art I've created, I've always tried to do it for the outsider because you write about what you know and that's what I know and that's what I've always felt like. People's champion is what you're. <laughs> I am the rock. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and what it was, you know, because as you say out there, you know, sometimes when you hear Nashville, you just think cowboy bits and big fancy hats, you know. It's, but it's the thing, like, I remember I was... Going, I know it's not that, you know, yeah, but... It's, but it's, it's kind of like... To me, like, to me, it felt like Disneyland for music. And that could be a good and a bad thing. Yeah. You know, whatever. Like, it's the hub where all happens. And there's so much amazing music. And there's so much incredible country music. There's yeah. so much dreadful country music, like the, yeah. the commercial pop stuff. Yeah. It's so bad. But there's so much great country music where it's really soulful and means something you know yeah um it's not but, it's not that sort of uh produced polished stuff yeah. you're saying yeah i kind of feel like I you mean like I, john prine and people yeah like, that, like yeah. all that stuff johnny whatever, cash like, and that johnny sort of cash and like and then some of like more modern ones like john fulbright yeah. and people like that yeah. you know um and just like i went to i went to when i was in america basically my pop my music publishers had sent me to new york to nashville and to, to la to speak to the people in the offices of the music publishers there to try and take my career on to the next step all yeah. that nonsense you know um, how did that go for, you know was <laughs> not great uh, but in new york it was great uh, and then in nashville uh, you just like i remember whenever i was in the like in in new york the the office was just beside times square and it was like you know on the oh my god hi tony welcome tony floor but they were but they were really uh, like i was kind of like this is bullshit but they uh, were really cool and really uh, kind of really friendly they came and saw me in the gig and they were really supportive and nashville they were kind of supportive, but they were like, I was like, here's my album and here's some EPs um, and here's like 15 songs that I'm going to put for the next album. And they were like, is that it? And I was like, well, yeah. And they were kind of like, the taxi driver that brought you over here today probably had a hundred songs in his glove compartment. No and I was way. like, yeah, but, but I'm signed with you guys. Ah, <laughs> and, like, and they were like, yeah, but. Like, is this going to fit in here or whatever? And they were just being honest, but... Oh, but that's like, someone's personal opinion, really. It's not an overall... With Nashville, they were just kind of like, they were going for the commercial country hit. Yeah. They took me, they invited me to a pitch night or whatever, not to play, but it was like, but it was an open mic and there was like, they would have representatives from, from 
Warner, one from one from Universal, and one from Cobalt, and one from yeah. someone else. Yeah, you know, and they would kind of go through it. So I was sitting just watching, just as, and everyone that came up, you know, they there was nothing new about anything they were doing. They were all ticking the boxes. The guy, the guy got up and sang a song about drinking beers and then being in his pickup with uh, his buddies, uh. and <laughs> the girl sang like a song about you know like about her getting back up after a broken heart and this dun, kind of stuff. Dun, 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 and it, you know, and I was just kind of going, mm, like, there's not, there's nothing really here kind of new, you know. Um, and the thing was, none of the, and it was an industry event, none of the industry people paid any attention. And the, then the song would stop and they would all turn around and be like, oh, amazing. And then they would turn back to just chat. Like, I think uh, I was the one person in the audience actually listening. And at that point, it was Do you think like, it was just a free laddie da maybe just? Kind of, yeah. Uh, like, and and then, then I got to, California and and it was great. I played like uh, I ended up doing some shows with Gogo Bordello and things like that. And brilliant, it was man. great. It was fantastic, you know. And then, but I remember like seeing like going to my publishers. Like I met I met one of the, the my NR person like in a coffee shop. I was chatting to her for that's a bit. Paul Clegg's band. Gogo Bordello was yeah. was he yeah. was their tour manager, wasn't he? He was one of their managers. Ah, uh, you, you know go. whatever. Like yeah. uh, it was Paul that got me on the shows. Brilliant, you know. Um, and um, uh. But yeah, so then it was, then after that, I was in California, I was chatting to this lady or whatever, and she was like, okay, we should bring you up and meet the team. I was like, cool. So she brought me up to the, like, the, the Cobalt offices in LA, and then <laughs> we were doing, it was the most, it was like a Jedi mind trick. It was amazing. We went into this room with a big oval table, and there was all these people sitting around the table, and she was like, this is Tom, he's head of SYNC, and this, and this is Denise, Denise, hi, is, Denise. Head of, is head of, and they're always like, hi, hi, hi. And she walks around, and then we get to the door, and she's just like, so yeah, you know where we are now, so anytime you're in LA, just like, come back, and that's great, thanks. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I was halfway down the corridor, and I was like, what just happened there? That was amazing. She just kicked me out. Did they just go like amazing? Like, you think it's just in one door and kick you out? Yeah, right, right. Right. I don't wonder how many people they do that to in a day. You know, but you it was know. just kind of like, well, oh, that's that's the music industry. But but the experience was good. And it I was mean, brilliant. And, and yeah. like you know, because if you look at it, you've a lot of opportunities within all that there. And yeah, uh, I had the time. You know, life, and you yeah. were out at. Uh, uh, SX uh, South by Southwest with the well with yeah, the band yeah, yeah 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 and is that somewhere you would think of going back out to or I think I think or so. is, it, is the commercialism of a tin away from see everybody's yeah. going to go to an event yeah Tony and say oh it was better ten years ago oh it was better last year like that's just your opinion of course of course the event's still there you know it's like I festivals think, isn't it in a way you know I think it's worth going if you have a good bit if you're already you know kind of gathering a bit of momentum yeah and you're going over there and you're one of the hype bands that people are like oh we gotta go see them yeah. if you're going over there kind of blindly I don't think it's it's an expensive flop yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I, I think a lot of kind of acts have done that without putting in the groundwork for ye- for three four years before before, that before they even come yeah so uh, Say and Do was a collaboration with David Little mm-hmm and it reached number 21 uh, in the UK charts and yeah. was number one in the blues charts. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm aware that... Uh, uh, was that around the same time, t- uh, Tony, as you were the resident uh, artist in the, the D- Mac? Or no. no? D- David was in the Nerve Centre? David was in the Nerve Centre. So just explain to people how that all came about. You Dave, know. David Little, amazing jazz musician, um, producer, multi-instrumentalist, just all rounds 
legend, really. Um, he, and I'd never met David before, but I was in the Nerve Center and Marty McGill had kind of just mentioned their new musician in residence, David Little, and I'd heard his name. Yeah. Was that around the City of Culture time? Was it? What a bit, no, no. It was 2015. 2015, 2015. Aye, aye, aye. Um, And then, yeah, and basically he just said, he, he was like, oh, you want to hear this guy play the drums? He makes the drums sing. And I remember looking at Marty kind of going, Right, okay, kind of going, he may be a good drummer, he doesn't make the drums sing. Drums are a percussive instrument, you can't make the drums sing. And then I met the guy and and heard him play, and I was like, this guy makes the drums sing. It was amazing. And we got on really well, and then I pitched to him recording some of my songs that hadn't that I'd kind of almost forgotten about. They just... They just weren't right for you then. Yeah, yeah. I kind of just was like, oh, should we record this? But we'll just do it live. Yeah. You know? So we went in and we recorded it live. He heard the songs for the first time that day. And we just went in, set up two microphones, one for me and guitar and vocals, one for him and the drums, um, and just hashed it out. Um, and then, again, put it out with no fanfare, didn't alert media beforehand. We just one day were like, oh, uh, we recorded an album, here it is. And put it out, and wouldn't you know, it was the most successful album that I've done. I something that yeah. you just yeah. thought would have just really just not it just moved. disappeared. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but people obviously caught on, and and because uh, I heard some of the tunes on it, and I suppose there you are then leaving from you know your early days and paperback so watching, and then you're coming on to what is it essentially uh, a man that does read music? I would imagine. Uh, no, well, David. Oh, yeah, uh, David's a doctor of music. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> and uh, but yet it didn't hold you back in a sense that working along with somebody like that. So yeah. it, it's showing that you know it can be done for people out there. Just if they exactly. are listening, exactly. That you can you know, and that's I'm sure Tony. That's a lot to do with the artists that they are say not being aloof in a sense. Completely to that and understanding. Yeah. You know that. So w- when you work together, you. Uh, you didn't do as much, uh, you know, like big touring as you'd think of doing. Or no, you just we did, like, did you, we did like five shows. Maybe. Aye, yeah, yeah. And uh, how did they all go? And because they were great. There was they were strange. Like we did the Empire in Belfast, which was great. We did a couple in Derry, which were great. And we did Debaras down in Clonakilty, um, old Noel Redding's place. Like, and, uh, and it was it was great, but there was very few people there. But but. That's kind of what made it great because we literally were chatting to the audience between songs and things like that. And we did, where else did we do? We do a North Coast one. I can't remember now. But we only did like about five or six shows. And then we, David was then artist in residence in the Mac. Yeah. And we did one of the shows. And then that's where the full circle thing comes in because I ended up artist in residence in the yeah, Mac, well, releasing my book. But the first page of my book is David talking about me in the Mac there or whatever when he was artist in residence. So, yeah, but, so people out there know that, um, you know, artists in residence just don't come out of fresh air. You know, mm. uh, uh, anybody that's an artist in resident is uh, capable and uh, has a capacity to work with different levels of people and mm. has a capacity uh, to bring new things mm-hmm. w- within where they're based. Yeah. Uh, and uh, through what you'd achieved, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland had recognised your what you were doing and uh, obviously the Mac had recognized it and I suppose for someone yet again uh, coming from where you had come from and uh, this iconic as to say uh, massive arts center as such uh, 
the biggest in Northern Ireland and uh, I suppose uh, the most diverse of activities yeah. that we can on. So what kind of, th- just for people out there, an artisan residence, uh, I suppose you could think it's like someone sitting in a wee cupboard somewhere and then uh, like they're like, you know, oh, heal the man behind the cupboard, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, all heal Oz. All heal Oz. You could pop out. Hi, <laughs> mate. Yeah, let's drum a bit. So um, inside uh, the, as the artisan residence, for what what happens there, Tony? For someone like yourself, that's an artist in residence. And what is it? Do you, you know, I know you, I read at times about people artists in residence collaborate and things. So, what what was your year like? As yeah, like anybody. Like I think you, like it's it's what you make of it. And at that point, whenever I was going in, I used it to develop the stage show that I turned the book into, um, whereby there was me doing sort of theatrical readings from the book but tied in with songs from my own back catalogue that kind of like linked it thematically. Yeah, we've um, seen it in the, in the yes. Heaney Centre. Yeah, it's really that's good. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I, a different concept altogether. Completely. Uh, yeah. It was different. And it was, uh, so it was, I was putting that together, going for it, but then also just doing my own little bits of writing and recording and things like that. But because I put out, this was a weird thing, to finance the book, I put out my third album, Outro, which was the one that basically paid for the pressing of the book and things like that there whatever and uh, and it was a it was kind of a crowdsourcing thing like when I brought it out I, I said to everyone was kind of going if you buy my album if you buy this album if you like it the money is going direct to me printing this book or whatever that's how it's going to happen but that and showed you the love people had for you they supported you in it that was campaign. beautiful yeah, yeah, yeah it's beautiful and, like, and you know, I sometimes feel I feel I, I don't like asking audiences for things or whatever like I but sometimes the audience do like to be asked or whatever Aye. you know like yeah. whatever because like it's it's a two-way thing yeah there's a, look I understand that and I've, I've been in that situation asking people for things as you know when they're here in sport uh, I don't mind asking anyone for a favour but uh, I was asking someone for, for uh, yeah like that. and it's it's, it's uh, but uh, it's amazing then when you make the ask that you know you might have someone at our end saying uh Ah, sure. That's no bother. You could have just rang me about that, and you maybe built yeah, your hope. You built yourself it. all yeah. up, a tense and all going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like a you know Father Dougal moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> attack of uh, no, no. <laughs> and you know you need a big towel for the forehead. But look, you put it out there, and uh, people supported it, and uh, that alone sometimes uh, can lift your energy. And I know that uh, for yourself that. Uh, you have, uh, I suppose, like anybody, everybody has something to live with and something to put up with, and uh, it's how they adapt to it. Um, uh, like anything in life, some things can give us a bad kicking and throw us back down, but uh, when we get up again, uh, it. it may not disappear that we yeah. key, but at least it, uh, we know that at the other end, there's good people, as yeah. I always say. And there's the, like I've been continually blown away over 25 years since I've been doing this really Jesus come up to 26 <laughs> um, well that's a good thing yeah, I, I, <laughs> if it stopped at 25 you look well for 25 you know. very much. Uh, I don't mention it there like uh, you <laughs> know the last 10 years since you were 15 and flying back and forward to England now you know uh, I did mention the time travel earlier though so uh, and uh, it wouldn't be too good now if it happened and to be honest what's going on you wouldn't even get a bloody plane Just, probably, you know, your time travel is like don't go to 2020 whatever you do uh, just what, skip that what, what, one, one, one or 10 journeys would be your album deal it would be 10,000 pounds just to go 
to Lee Gatwick. <laughs> well, they, I've always been blown away with the kindness of strangers. Like, that's, yeah. I think that's a line from Streetcar Named Desire. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, but it's true. Like, yeah. I've always kind of been blown away. The interception of good people and uh, that have good heart. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but you have to be very careful as well not to take advantage of that as yeah. well, you know, because there's people... Some people don't know when to say no as well. Uh, you know, and yeah. Like, so it's, well, I, I suppose it's like... Uh, but but people, most people want to help. I truly people, believe uh, that. No, yeah. there's, look, there's as there's, there's many great energies out there as there is negatives. But at the end of the day, sometimes uh, the opposite can kick us and then we get back into the other opposite of it, which is positivity, the negativity, and we use the positive one. So you went on then, Tony, and uh, your album, Falk, <laughs> Fox ache and the tragedy of Dr. Hannigan, you know, and that's not for Fox's sake, right? For anybody out there thinking that we're having this big journal of cursing, you know, it's Guy Fox, or would you ever fuck? Yeah. Oh, Fox off. Hi, that's it. It's, so, like, it's spelt as in like Guy Fox. It is yeah. surely. Well, I'm sorry that I have an old sort of dyslexic this, tongue on me there. This is exactly why we call it that. The way. <laughs> Imagine trying to say that after ten pints. Uh, just to hear the, like an English DJ. Kind of going, that was the tragedy of Dr. Hannigan with a uh, new album, Fo- Fox <laughs> <laughs> Come on in, buy the album for Fox's sake. Uh, so, uh, no, that was 217. Because at this stage, mm. you know, um, even from your early days with uh, So A Watcher, you're prolific. You know, you don't mess around too long. Like, it's every couple of years you're putting some yeah. new content out. And when I say every couple of years, I mean albums. I'm not saying about EPs in between that and maybe working on charity songs for different things with people. So, um, the whole uh, Dr. Hannigan thing, because I remember at the time going to you, oh, lad, that's lethal. I remember. And, uh, so remember <laughs> we were up, trying to get something uh, we were, here, And yeah. I know there was, it didn't work out, which is grand. But I, I know I was talking to someone er, uh, earlier on. I was saying that uh, I, ha- I had you in uh, for a chat and they mentioned uh, uh, the Dr. Hannigan. Did they? Oh, uh, cool. Just to, uh, and everything else. But they just wanted to... No, will there be any more uh, working with Dr. Hannigan? Or who was it and who well, recorded it? Well, you see, Dean Stevens deserves a big, a, a big, like, a, it wouldn't happen without Dean. Like, uh, yeah. D- Dean got in touch with me to do some collaborating and we were going to do some sort of like Nashville style songs and just try and farm them out. But then when we, we just had fun jamming things out. And we did this, a similar thing whereby n- n- the only song that was written before... We got in the studio, would have been "Hey, little worried one," the kind of first one, and it was and it's just a chorus repeated five times, pretty much. But um, that was like the only one that was pretty meditated. The rest we just made up each day as we came in. Because, um, do you know your uh, your gig up at Stendhal? Was that Doctor? That was Doctor Hannigan. Ah, because yeah. remember I got a wee picture of you were hanging out at the. That's wee, right. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. Probably, no, I'm not a great dog, but I, I seen you hanging out. I'm always watching for weird, abstract things like people, you know, doing magic. So there you go. And. Uh, <laughs> Really good set and a great crowd. It was brilliant, and because uh, uh, and you were right on among them, don't you? And given the whole and and I suppose with uh, like earlier, it was a character thing. I kind of just like yeah. Well, you done it great, and that's what it's all about. I suppose like you said earlier on about uh, you know performing as a unit and giving it all and everybody out there and doing it. Like certainly that day, you took the character of Doctor Hannigan, mm-hmm. whoever it was, and. Uh, they, it went down really well and there was a good crowd and uh, did that surprise you that there were amount of people because obviously yeah. they were there for you're someone now that's uh, as a linear line with so watch you and first course first dr hannigan uh and uh so who recorded it or was it something dean 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 is a very talented man 
and uh, encourage anybody that wants to work with an amazing multi-instrumentalist producer. Dean Stevens is the guy to so speak to. where is Dean from then, Tony, for Dean's, people listening? He's, I'm not sure if he's from Belfast originally. Like, uh, he's got a studio just outside Hollywood, like out around there. Um, but, um, well, he loves us people bombarding him now. Oh, I uh, Like, that, uh, that guy loves working. Like, uh, he loves working. So, Dean? Dean Stevens. Dean uh, Stevens, for people out there. Yep. And is he on out. Facebook or things? Or? Yeah, I just, oh, I can't remember the name of his new studio because it was a different uh, studio when we recorded. But it's outside Hollywood uh, and it's great. It's, it's that's amazing. Hollywood County down Hollywood, here, people. Yeah. <laughs> just in case uh, there's some guy sitting outside Cookstown going, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, <laughs> that Tony boy must have sung cash shooting out sure. to, to <laughs> Hollywood. So just to put it on record, it's Hollywood County down, you know. And is the big sign in Hollywood County down like in the walls? <laughs> there is. It's, on the, it's called the Morns. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, just, the Dean, yeah, Dean yeah, had and, a lot and he was... And that, but it was kind of, it was just a fun thing to kind of do. And it was that character thing. Because if you're a character, you can say things that you would never have the balls yeah, to say when yeah. you're not doing it. You know? And I should say too, uh, like uh, your book uh, um, was named as one of the books of the year for the Irish Times in yeah. 2019. You know, which is, I mean, you're a rock and roller. And, you know, you've been among the, you know, yes, now, yes, perfect, yes, fancy words, young Tony. I walked down the street in L.A. And, uh, do you know, and so it, it's a world where you see it, a lot of thespians and all, and that's their thing, mm -hmm. writing books. But uh, you went down there and all of a sudden you have, well, one of the biggest papers out there, the Irish Times writing that, uh, you, were, was, you know, it was good. And how did that make you feel? Yeah, and I know I've got piles of our, uh, uh, quotes I could make about different people and oh, says, yeah. but that one there, thought sat out about. That was like when I saw that. It was, <laughs> it was. I think it was like just before Christmas that I saw that as well because it was yeah they were roundup of the year and they were just like yeah, this was one of the Irish music books of the year and let's face it like as a, as an island we do put out a lot of music books. <laughs> yeah, well, so haven't, so well, haven't it's a home, they say, of literature. And, yeah. and you think of the Port Lorettes, there's a good few oh, in Ireland. Yeah. I don't need to name them because everybody knows who they are. Well, and, I can, uh, I, I, like, I've, I've always <coughs> been a big fan of, like, I've always been a reader, like, um, yeah. and I love disappearing into books and things like that. And What kind of books do you like reading then? Uh, it's only in the past sort of like six, seven years I've gotten into fiction. It was always, I just always loved memoirs and biographies and travel books and things like that and things like that and then I was like I enjoyed fiction when I was very young but then when I was a teenager and in my 20s and starting my 30s I was like nah but it's only halfway through my 30s again I was just like no fiction's great but yeah. hey this might catch on this uh, fiction stuff uh, and, and, and but at what stage did you think we bubble in your head going I'm going to write a book you know I <clears throat> when you're a solo musician you don't you spend a lot of time by yourself yeah. As everybody's been used to this past year. Yeah. You know, as a and how's, that, how's that been for you too this year as well? It's tough. Uh, really tough. Like, yeah. But I recorded an album, so yeah. I got that out of it. Like, yeah. But, um, but like, I think everybody's had a tough year and uh, we've all know, got to know our limits a lot better and yeah. what works for us and what doesn't. And, and it's been an education. Maybe, I was in, maybe in a way I was better equipped for it than others because I had been by myself for so long. <coughs> but I think, yeah. I think I had been... Because before the pandemic... I'd been in, this, I'm gonna, this is a real first world problem, but I was in Italy for a few months before that, but I was by myself in a wee mountain village. So I was by myself for months before no the way. lockdown. 
Um, and, how did that? How did you end up there? I ran away, Paddy. I, <coughs> I ran away. You ran away just for a week. It's, it, mm. Was it just a week to find yourself again? Yeah, or? like uh, I'd lost, a, I'd lost a friend. Yeah, and it was it was weird because it was this great songwriter Robert Holmes um, that I've been working with, and he was the uh, most gifted I, songwriter. I seen you put up a wee yeah. bit. I seen that online. And I'd been working with Robert. To try, like we were, the plan was to get his confidence back up to get my plan, and then I was going to record an album with like, a, and it was like we were going to do it properly, and the songs were amazing. And then we would always meet up and go over songs, but it was also like therapy for both of us because yeah. we were like chatting about things. And Robert was a wee bit older than me. Um, and then we, when the run up to my book launch, I was just super busy and I didn't speak to Robert for a while. And I remember <coughs> kind of going, as soon as the book launch is done. I'll give Robert a shout, see how he's doing. As soon as the book launch is done, get that in, because I just have to focus on this. And then the day of my book launch, Robert disappeared. Um, and the and the day after my book launch, I started seeing missing notices, and I was like, oh, God. Um, and then he was found, you know, a few days later, and it just pulverized me, because... Mm. I kept just thinking, why didn't I? I know that it would have happened regardless if I had a, if I had a call him or not. Like I, but I did blame myself for it, and I've lost a lot of friends that way, and yeah. most of them are musicians. Yeah. Um, and I just went, shit. That's the path I'm on. And I just ran away yeah. because I was like, if I, I like, I, I, I'm, that's the fate that's going to happen to me. Or yeah. whatever, like, and like, mental health. Tony, yeah. is mental health, a friend, is something that uh, is very, um, very much um, out there now, on an even bigger scale, you know. Um, and like, there's a lot of, you see a lot of people out there now. It's it's all right not to feel all right. Oh, you know, yeah. when we talked earlier on, you get a buzz, and then you get a kicking yeah. the buzz and we talked with a wee cup of tea we talked about that um, but I suppose um, when we analyse things a lot um, we I suppose keep the, our mind lets us think we should have thought like us yeah. whereas actually um, the amount of uh, good times you spent together oh, yeah. and uh, laughs uh, was um, was probably very much an energizer to both ends as you say and uh like the only way I suppose on that there is uh, that you remember the good times yeah, and you remember the smiling, like mm -hmm. you're smiling now and uh, he seemed to be a beautiful person, what you're describing there. And there's nothing wrong with being uh, like getting really upset about something. Yeah. And uh, you took the journey deadly to try and... I just disappeared. <coughs> I just was like, I need to get out of here. There was a lot of things happening. There was... There was a... Like there was a big anniversary and things at the time of like the first and so watchy album that year and things and and I just seemed to be surrounded by that again. And there was stuff happening there and then I wasn't getting I, I, like I kinda of felt like songs I wrote and I wasn't getting Oh I, I I yeah, it was just it was it was it was a really awful time for me to personally like uh, two thousand nine the start of two thousand nineteen and then all these things happened and I just had to run away. I just knew the battering my mental health had taken yeah. recently, but then it brought 
everything from 10 years to the floor to the floor again it just kicked up all the dirt you know and i had to get out of it so yeah. i skipped and went like i'm lucky that i was able to do that you know yeah. i'm lucky i was able to like go and hide away in and, Italy and, uh, yeah but you have yeah. italian connections yeah yeah um, uh, um i mentioned earlier on ice cream and you were saying yep uh, and uh uh, how does that connection happen? How did that connection? Well, my here? nonna, like, uh, she met her, she met my grandfather in Naples. Um, he was an Irish soldier, you know, like whatever. And they came over and, and they got married and all that, whatever. So yeah, it's just like, there's this, there's a very large Irish Italian community. Um, like and there's a very large Scottish Italian community and a very large English and Welsh Italian community, and they all come from the same region in Italy, pretty wow. much. Um, and and that's all over the UK and here and yeah, because they're like, <coughs> like the, I was there for like four or five months, 2019, and there would be like a month where there's just all these Scots arrive. Wow. So you, were you staying yeah. with your relatives? Like no, no, because no, uh, like uh, my nonna used to live there, but she's uh, passed away long uh, ago. Um, and then, like, my dad and his partner had a place there or whatever, like, and I just kind of went and stayed there. Um, and, and did that help you uh, reflect? I thought it did, yeah. Well, like, I could, I recorded an audiobook while I was out there. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the stupidest thing in the world because I just, rather than getting away from the trauma, I was just rereading the trauma. <laughs> 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 but in a way, it was kind of like, you know, it was... I, it was something to keep me focused because but once you put it on the book it was gone from your insights felt like it was uh, just kind of like going oh well that's a bit of purging it's kind of like out there uh, um and it's just out yeah, yeah. yeah. so and i suppose then you as you say you, you you had that to deal with um your friend uh go around and passing away and then you came home and then it was lockdown oh well, yeah i came back when i was coming back i went via glasgow where my brother lives just outside with his family and I kind of just was like, I saw how big my niece and nephew had gotten. And I was like, I need to spend some time with these ones. So I decided to move to Glasgow. I moved to Glasgow and then shortly after, pandemic. But, uh, um, but, they, but like, they don't live in Glasgow. They live outside Glasgow. So I couldn't, they weren't within walking distance. So were you thinking that. of uh, sort of moving away to live somewhere else from here now, There Tony? was a part of me that just wanted to get away from... Maybe it's just a new beginning. Yeah, it felt like that. Yeah. Um, and... I just wanted, you know, I wanted somewhere where the first thing, it's, it was so it was a bit of a dickhead about it. Like, it was, I, I, I didn't, I wanted to go somewhere where the first thing people talked to me about wasn't, and so what you from afar. Oh, you know what I mean? At least you go out there to talk about, like, uh, um, croissants and, and uh, <laughs> fancy meals. But that's and not all. to say. How many ways can you cook spaghetti, Tony? Go on. The clock's on now. There's that, like, uh, if you get, like, uh, if you get the bottle like this, whatever, make sure that you get, like, a metal bottle. Set it on top of an upturned iron. Upturned iron. And then put some spaghetti in there. Spaghetti in there. Or you can go for a really long one, just get yeah. some water there and just, like, with a hairdryer. Sounds good. So can you hairdryer spaghetti to cook, eh? <laughs> Why not? Aye, let's do it. Like, I mean, I, 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 look, see out in the world there, there's, there's room for everything and anything. And, uh, but so, I just also want to say, that's, like, I, I'm quite happy to talk about my past, but at that point, I was kind of like, I was just fed up with it, you know, that's yeah. why I'm quite because I felt, because at that point, it was kind of like, I felt like my past had been robbed from me in a certain way. But then, yeah. it was blatantly obvious to me that then with reflection that it wasn't because people were talking to me about it aye so yeah. aye so it, 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 once yeah. you get a different perspective mm -hmm. um, the, the sort of hurt maybe eased up a bit and you were able to continue on which is really yeah. important yeah so you're 
Next album, third solo album, uh, outro. You mentioned earlier yeah. on there, yeah. so that was the album that financed um, the book. Yeah, the book, and uh, like uh, it got great reviews as well. Uh, yeah. And out there, you always seem to get good reviews down south as well, which a lot of artists up here wouldn't get as much maybe coverage as you know. Uh, that's uh, yeah. That's I'm, I'm lucky. I get. I definitely get a bit of grace because of my past. You know, no, and, and that's really good. And you have three EPs out and singles. Mm -hmm. uh, there was an interesting thing I was reading about you about uh, like uh, the actoring, actor <laughs> in you. I don't know if actoring is actually a word, but it is now. It is now. And Tony, welcome to our actoring class. Inside the actor's studio. <laughs> Inside the actoring class, right? Uh, a very famous uh, self-motivation EP out there now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so. The story uh, was about a guy who was an ex-German soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, who uh, then uh, came... Uh, Troutman, yeah, yeah. Bert Troutman. And how did that come about? How did you end up in something like that? Just tell uh, people yeah. what it's about. It's a strange story. Like, well, yeah, uh, I ended up as, a, I ended up as like, I have the very small speaking role in a motion picture. Did you have to speak uh, like German? Or, well, they, uh, they brought me, they auditioned me for two parts. One was Ice Cream Man, which I thought was perfect irony. Because you know you are the king of Knickerbocker glories. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like as a kid, like 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 you know, my nonna and the Morales and all that kind of stuff. You know, so the ice cream man so it made sense. Um, and uh, but they also asked me to do the. I was like a reporter as well, and it was like based around Manchester. Um, good. Well, that's what that's what. Bert Truman is not the name. Bert Bert Kreut, Bert Troutman. 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 Uh, yeah, and it was the true story of this German paratrooper that. Um, like was a prisoner of war in England and then the war ended and he repatriated to England or whatever because he fell in love with this girl he started playing for the local football team but he was actually a really good goalkeeper and Manchester City signed him but everyone but when people found out that he had this history as a German paratrooper they were obviously quite uh, you know and like there was yeah. lots of protests and all this and people didn't like him but then they were in an FA Cup final and five minutes into the game he broke his neck yeah, that's, a fast, that's totally fascinating. Yeah, but, but he played the rest of the game because they didn't know he broke his neck. There was like a bit of vertebrae that had lodged in and it was keeping him alive. But the, but he made all these amazing saves during the game that if he hadn't touched his head, like he would just would have died. And they only found this out after the game. Wow. So after that, he was this big hero. Everyone was like, and he got this like German and German Anglo relations medal and all this was used as this kind of totem to repair the relations between the two <laughs> countries. He was a peace deal. Yeah. So while yeah. Well, well, he's recovering in hospital, and he's on the phone to his wife. This is terrible. This, this is a spoiler, by the way. I'm sorry. Like, should I, uh, should I keep going? Well, it's, uh, 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 if, uh, it depends. Like, it could be people might want to watch it. I'm not I, sure. I'll, I'll just leave it. I'll but, just leave uh, it. But uh, you've come that far. Like, I tell you, you <laughs> Okay, well, if you Do want you know to watch it. you know a lot of them See there, fair, you're an actor now. You know the way you'd be interviewed and all. You walk around the film and all, and this and that and that. <laughs> I'd love if somebody just come on and go, yep. He gets it hard at the end. Let's <laughs> you know, uh, Well, my character, you can sense a wee bit of this, and a wee bit of that. So, uh, but look. I guess, I guess, if you want to watch the film, skip the next minute or thirty seconds. Yeah. So what happens? What happens? Pretty much. His little son goes out to get an ice cream, and I'm sitting reading the newspaper, and I, his son comes out, and I'm, I recognize him, and I was just, I'm just like, oh, your dad's a hero, son. Your dad's uh -huh. a hero, you know, and. Uh, He's like, he puts his money down like this is on the you know uh, the money's no good here. and uh, but do you know what you sound like a Yorkshire man that's because it's, it's Manchester no, so I went for that area Delhi, like, you don't good, no you don't good there you don't you know, good there because uh, when I did the 
Manchester. I did a Scouse one. Oh, where everyone was around. I was going, so you're telling me, like, <laughs> but, but it was, uh, but so that like the kid leaves his money and walks off and I'm, I see it. And I'm like, Oh son, you don't have to pay. And he got hit by a car. Oh my God. And killed. So, cause he turned around to like what I'm shouting after for his money. So that, and then, you know, like, and then like the mum comes out and she's like in hysterics. I'm trying to, but the actress, she was amazing. Freya Mavor, I think she was in Skins. <laughs> like the director's like, when she comes out, you pick her up and try and calm her down. She just clean elbowed me in the face. Did you I do? Had, I just had to keep going with it. <laughs> well, you just had, you just put her son out in the road and got knocked I, down. To be fair, yeah. So, be fair <laughs> I deserved it. it. I deserved right. it. Well, so that was a great experience. So now. But the main thing of the acting thing was the also runs. That, but that's what I'm going to get to now. So Mickey McCullough <laughs> yeah. and yourself, uh, just for the world, people out there. So that, and Colm Laverty. So the also runs good people as all online. Mm-hmm. So do you want to give them a wee, people a wee insight into what... Right, I'll say it first. Mickey, yeah, yeah. Mickey McCullough mm-hmm. at the minute uh, is a songwriter and he's also a podcast king. Mm-hmm. Him and uh, Nathan Reg- Reagan. Nathan Reagan, yeah. Uh, so in lockdown, they started uh, doing podcasts. and They've uh, been do- They were doing them since 2017. There they are. And by all accounts, yeah. they're really successful at yeah. it. And uh, so... Tell me, because I remember at the time seeing the one where you came in, the, the, the flat and all, and you were all flustered and what was going on. And, uh, so basically, for what I thought it was, was uh, two guys about to release some music, uh, but they were kind of not really that, and they were, you know... The, we're playing kind of exaggerated versions of ourselves. Like, I'm, I'm called Tony in it, uh, and Mick's called Muck in it uh, or whatever. Like, but I was supposed to be straight man, Mick, Mick was supposed to be like the comedy... Whatever, but then I ended up kind of blurring where we both ended up being uh-huh. these comedy kind of elements. Mick let me improvise a lot, which was great. Um, but he just kind of he approached me. <laughs> he, me and Joshua Burnside were playing like a Christmas gig or something, and Mickey's a legend. I love him. Like, and but he approached me at this gig in Lavery's around Christmas, two thousand sixteen or something. Like, and just went. Uh, it's like I'm thinking about doing. I've got this idea to do like a wee sitcom kind of thing. <laughs> Pure Roma man. Like, yeah, and, and, and he was just. It was. He just. It was like there's. I'm trying to say this to you without offending you. This is, this is what he said to me. He's going, there's a lot of comedy gold to be mined from someone that's had your experiences. Uh, you know, whatever. And I was like, right, okay. So you're saying you think my life's a joke? And he was like, kind of. I was like, okay, cool. I can go with that. And we, so we just went with that and ran with it. Like I, But it was fr- a, people should know it was a massive hit. It was great, uh, yeah. It was and, like, uh, and there was talk... Uh, um, I don't know, just maybe it was online about like a series or is that something that's just, it could have been just it something was, weird. was online. Like you, you should get Mickey in to talk about uh, it because he had like a like a very in-depth experience. With it. Like I don't, I don't know the exact ins and outs, but the BBC kind of took it. They took the idea. Um, um, they bought it and like it was Mickey's baby, you know, and we were like, whoa, is this going to happen? And, like, but then... They started, BBC started changing it here and there and things like that. And then, oh, did Joe, so they, um, what that meant that uh, Michael and yourself would have still been in it, or or, well, like, or, or were they writing, writing it for somebody else? Or, or well, that's what we kind of thought. But then the BBC kind of changed it, and we just wanted Mick, like, to, we were a bit gutted, obviously, but we wanted Mick to be successful. But there's something success, about that yeah. sort of quick haphazard type of thinking compared to this do it again, do it again, do it again, isn't there? Yeah. It was like, I think. We recorded a second series anyway, so uh, we did ourselves, brilliant. but it hasn't been put out anywhere. Uh, like, hopefully, hopefully it comes out someday. But, but is that something that, you know, seeing by showing the power of who approached you the first time, what about other uh, uh, avenues of, for the next one that maybe would take it 
I think yeah. Well, it's, I think again that would be that would be Mickey's kind of. Aye. That would be like a, I, I would. I, I, he knows. I've said to him I would do it again in a heartbeat. Aye. You know, because we had such like at the time. I was sleeping on Mickey's sofa, you know, as well. Uh, so it was kind of art imitating life, like in a weird uh, way. Except in the in the show, it's him sleeping on my sofa, or whatever. But I was actually sleeping. He, on his he morphed sofa. into you. He morphed into uh, me. Just and, uh, well, look, that's uh, that was something that, as I say, when it came out, uh, it was because uh, I'd heard about pe- something saying, and I was thinking, oh, that's brilliant. It's great. If it's See so- the things you got to do to try and shift some music now. You got to write books. You got to create sitcoms. <laughs> like man, you have done it all, you know, and and and, and a fantastic ice cream maker too, which is, uh, and, and uh, skateboarder as well. But look, uh, I should say um, uh, earlier on, uh, you done two live tracks. Um, uh, and it was a great, uh, great uh, honor for us that uh, you went back in your archives. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, for people that uh, may or will be listening, uh, could you just tell us a wee, uh, about the two songs and when they came from? Because you said earlier on, Tony, yeah. they were real old, from way your early EPs or something. One of the songs I play called Spiders. It's on one. Of, it's on the Inches EP. It's got a lovely arrangement with violin and harp and piano and stuff it's kind of almost like chamber music or something yeah. like but it's a, it's beautiful like dara gillen played harp on it amazing musician um and sabrina rogers incredible producer and musician yeah um she played violin she was incredible um so credit where credit's due for them and they took it to another level but yeah that song i'd written i wrote that song Probably around 2005, 2006. There you go. So it was before, like, As the Wife was established uh, and stuff like that. I remember, I remember writing it on a particularly heartbroken weekend uh, <laughs> or whatever. Did like, you have a wee romance? I'd had on. a wee romance. Was there a wee romance? Was there a wee hecky and all that? And I was like, oh, none of that. No, that no, was no. just for. Stay distance. Uh, stay distance. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, you just sort of blue kisses from well, afar. Blue kisses and uh, just kind of just lobbed or uh, nags at each other. just. It was all over. You're gonna go. I'm gonna write this song, and the world's gonna know who she, it is. That, well, well I can't, yeah, it was just like that pathetic thing of kind of. It's. I remember saying before that love songs are almost like. I don't know. Can I swear? Is that all right? Aye, that right? Swear love, away. Love songs can be like emotional dick pics. Aye. You know, because the, the people that are the receiving end of the love song, they didn't ask for that. <laughs> and you're just giving it to them like, it's an emotional dick pic. Like, <laughs> just firing it out. Uh, well, and in, in, in that sense too, it's one of the most popular dick pics there is. Uh, and, uh, but I suppose, like, and then, uh, so... Uh, that song, Spiders, is the, so it's 16 years old. And then the other song I played, Last Day on Earth, it's the second last song in outro. Aye. And I see my Spotify <laughs> uh, stats and that yeah. song is very rarely listened to or whatever. Like people don't, people listen to the start of the album and then there's, or they just go to the singles or whatever, you know. I should true. But this song is like one of the ones at the end. And I think it is, it starts a bit kind of slow and things like that. It's whatever, it's kind of like, it's almost, I remember saying when we was recording it, saying, because Herb McGee played bass on it and Andy Coles played drums and co-produced it. I remember saying, kind of going, I want to make it like a, the band, but mm. if the band were writing the darkest song we'd uh, ever written, yeah. you know, like, like uh, Levon Helm and those guys yeah. were doing something really, like, lyrically dark. So that's the kind of feel with it. But I wanted it to be like, you know, you've finally fallen in love, but a uh, tight one, it's the end of the world. Uh, so, but uh, I figured out last year that so many of my back catalogue songs <laughs> seem to be 
lyric-wise, they slot in with the pandemic and the lockdown and things like huh, this. Huh. <laughs> like, you you seen know, it? I think I think I had a bit uh, of Nostradamus going Nostradamus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's going to be four pigeons landing in Port Stewart at 0800 hours <laughs> in 2025, <laughs> and the third one from the left is going to shit on your forehead. You'll have luck forever. Do you want to well, see just the when lockdown started? And I was in Glasgow. I remember going out for a run, or whatever, and seeing. This is the. This is like it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen, but you know, like the, the magpie thing. You know, yeah. you see one magpie is uh, bad luck, and you uh, see two is good luck, or whatever. Three like, for a know. girl and four for a boy. That's it. Five yeah. for silver. What's the next? Six for gold. Seven for a secret, never to be told. And that's what, and then you just repeat it again. Yeah, yeah. Mag. I saw, but there was a ma- there was a magpie that had been hit by a car. It was oh, dead, no. and the other magpie was standing over it, just going. No way. Just mourning its partner, you know, Holy whatever. Shit. And I remember just going, right, that has to be a pretty bad omen. Uh, <laughs> for the, And uh, that was the start of lockdown. That was just as lockdown was happening. So the, the, the magpie <laughs> sacrificed his life so you could feel it. And, uh, <laughs> but so the like, and so your new album, mm-hmm. uh, it's not out there yet. No, no, it comes, comes out digitally and for order and vinyl. Yeah. The first verse, chorus verse album available in vinyl. Um, it's, comes out on Friday the 21st so that might be that that might have happened already by the time people I don't know yeah. um uh, whatever but it's this for me and you uh, in real time it's this coming Friday this coming Friday in real time for me and Tony mm-hmm. but for you people listening out there the album is coming soon <laughs> and uh and it's just for people um that uh it's a different album yeah and uh so I heard the single on it. It's got a, a bit of groove to it. Yeah. It's got uh, uh, and uh, there's a good wee hook in it. And uh, it seems you're getting played a lot on on the yeah. on the, the radio locally. I know Steve McCauley played it and Ralph and different people have played I it. Like Tom Robinson's been getting a brilliant radio six, and, and that's really good. In Dublin has been getting a good few spins and stuff. As that's well. deadly, you know. And Galway and Cork have been like radio the the more like. Instead of you know your RTEs, your BBCs, like targeting the other stations. Ah, but they're all there. They have their audience too. Yeah, totally. And the good thing about them localized stations is, if you were going down into an area then and touring, it's really important, doesn't it, that the station locally would be plugging your song because so. it can help so much, Massively can't it? Massively so. You know? And the and the little local newspapers, all yeah. that stuff. Oh, brilliant! Do you know uh, who was? I used to go with Pepperbrook days. Yeah. Anthony Toner used to work at the Korean Chronicle. The songwriter on the there you go. That's how I first met him, and he was and he was. We would come in, and he would always. He was always so supportive because we were young musicians. And he was a musician. There you so, go. And I remember he asked us what style of music we were, and I still use this reference when anybody asks me what style of music we were because we were like we were like oh we don't want to be pigeonholed. Uh, and he went, "Shall I just put you down as Afro-Hungarian township jive?" <laughs> and I still use that. People ask me, <laughs> so what sort of music do you play? Afro-Hungarian township jive. <laughs> probably it's probably. I hope, it's, I hope that's not racist. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like one big massive dance mix out there. Uh, but uh, so, what is the plans then? You know, I know that uh, we are where we are and everybody knows, but we're starting to see a wee bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And last year was uh, been sort of uh, a very tough time and horrific time for a lot of artists and musicians and uh, crews and yeah, people yeah. that structure everything. Uh, I suppose there's bits of movement now. Uh, um, what's your feelings on coming back to gigs and how do you feel it'll all go? Or do you think... Uh, I think... Okay, me and you were talking. Uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna be the Roaring Twenties. I think it's, but it's gonna be a dichotomy because I think it's gonna take some people. I think it's gonna take quite a lot of us a long time to totally readjust. Mm-hmm. But I think once it does, and once live music's playing again and things like that, like I think the appetite for 
like music will be stronger than it's ever been. Yeah, well, that's that's really that's a, that's that's very interesting, and I suppose, but you're sending out that positive vibe, and that's I, I, there's, I think, well, like my album is called "What If We Won," yeah, um, and it's, and it's for, like it's, it's for everyone, you know. It's like, what if we won? You know, yeah. like we we spend so much time kind of just like thinking about the worst case scenario. But that isn't always the way things work out. Sometimes things work out all right. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. things... Even in the worst scenarios, there's an all right, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. It's like something terrible happened, but it opens another door. Yeah. Or whatever, something happens, then it's like... It's... There was... Like, I think last year we were all in our houses and we were just watching the world burn and yeah. turn to shit with these... And fascists in power and yeah. just and all that, whatever. And But, like, things are starting to turn and change. And, yeah. But I... I do, I think I've got so much faith in the young in the future. The, they're more clued in than we are, like, than we were. Yeah. You know, and they've got, it's, I, I wish we'd, I wish we'd done better for them. But I think that they, I think they're going to surprise a lot of us. Well, know? they, I mean, like anything uh, in life, uh, new beginnings happen all the time. And uh, it's uh, new, new, new voices new mm-hmm. new yeah. uh, attitudes uh, um, a new message yeah. and uh, like obviously we know what's happening around the world and in different parts of the world there's a lot of tragedy going on at the moment there's places that are still sort of there's activities going on that shouldn't be going yeah. on and everybody's going to have an opinion uh, but when this is going all going on as uh, the great Sir David Attenborough says uh, you know we can still, there's never too late for change in anything, you know, so it's the same thing what you've just said there, so the young people are the change, yeah. and uh, we hope that uh, there's plenty of creativity within that in the future, oh, I know the, you do, and I know because I know when I said earlier on I didn't mention much about your mentor, and you've mentored a lot of young bands, a lot of young songwriters, and you are the voice they phone now, you're the phone call, you know, the, the BMI boy or whatever <laughs> you were saying, you're the phone call now, and they're hoping you'll answer, uh, and uh, so, and I applaud you for that, and I know that you're doing great work in the Hot House with Marty, and, and uh, you're, you're making time for that, and uh, being creative, and being an actor, and coming all that time from uh, Port Rush to where we are now. Uh, for me, on behalf of what, uh, my crew, which is I always say, is uh, small but massive. Crew. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and and actually, just because you're here, it's back on the wall now again behind me. And uh, uh, and uh, Paul Connolly done that we really thing. Never be beat. Seventy eight tour I went on with him, Tony, one time. Amazing. I was a tour manager. <laughs> I know you laugh away because you were laughing. One thing. You know exactly what went down. Uh, but uh, it's been brilliant having you, and and thank you so much for coming into the well, small but massive you, podcast and. Uh, so I just before thank, we thank you for and you guys for everything for all for the for the past 13 14 years so uh, no respectfully for that but just before you go um, um maybe just tell people um because I should say um you put a wee thing up one time and uh, on Spotify about the amount of songs that you're connected to. Uh, that person in Nashville mightn't say now is that all the songs yeah. you have. Uh, I just thought I'd mention that uh, and the amount of albums and the different uh, and from on behalf of us, uh, if you're out back on tour again, maybe you'll come and do a wee gig for us. I and uh, and if that all opens up again, I'm like yourself, uh, uh, 
uh, positive and optimistic as can be. And so just give uh, people a wee run of where online. I know there's a user Spotify and all, but if it comes yeah. from you, then they can check it out, you know. Well, there's like that, that there's that playlist Spotify you're taking that is called And So Verse Chorus Verse Watches Dr. Hannigan from Afar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that was well rehearsed down there. Damn it, anyway, were you reading my, were you reading my funny sir? No. <laughs> that was actually, that was the second choice of name for the band. <laughs> but it's, a, it's, I think there's. That's Spotify, and there's like I think that's eighty. There's like eighty two odd tracks on there. That's all the stuff that I've written is commercially available. Yeah, there's loads of stuff done that isn't on there. Nice. Um, and then, but yeah, there's this new album coming out. But please get it on Bandcamp and just like you know order the vinyl that way. And then I'm doing this. You, so you want people just just say that again. You want people directly to go on Bandcamp. Go to the verse course verse Bandcamp and yeah. like to buy the digital download there, or if they prefer to buy the vinyl. And they'll get a free digital download with the vinyl. Yeah. Um, There's more value you're saying with Bandcamp, and then because uh, they always get, and then you've got yeah. Bandcamp Fridays for people out there too. Yeah, and stuff like like that. exactly. Like fingers crossed, they're going to be doing more of those. But yeah. Like, but but stuff's on Spotify as well. You know, even though they are evil and horrible. And as a musician, I hate them. As a music lover, I think they're great. But as a musician, I hate yeah. them. Um, but having said that, I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I'm doing with my album, and I it would be I'm sure other musicians have done it, and I think. This would be a pretty good way to go forward with it. I'm putting out the album on Bandcamp only for a few weeks and then go to streaming services with it. Yeah. Like that's the way the film industry works, whereby they will put a movie in the cinema when they open again and then they appear on like the streaming sites. Yeah. That would Why be, don't musicians do that? That would be interesting now, just what you're saying there, uh, 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 what you're, tr you're going to do there. That'd be interesting for people to know how that all went and, and why you're doing that. And I think what that takes, Tony, is probably... Um, if you're putting out any information online or anything, just be relentless with that message. Hashtag the, the you know, yeah, what you want. And, uh, uh, you know, the Bandcamp rather yeah. than the other dudes. Yeah, bank, like Bandcamp is like the priority. And I think every, every, every musician would tell you the same, I think, uh, you know, yeah. to go via that way. Um, and But then, it's like, we all have Spotify accounts, so if you just want to hit follow, follow verse, chorus, verse, there's... Plenty of genres on there to chew on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you've just named a, a, a gazillion bands on, on one title. It's like a grand <laughs> national entry. Uh, <laughs> 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 some of them, some of them fell the first hurdle. I'll put my Spotify earnings <laughs> in that horse. <laughs> and some done better. But Tony, you're being a star, man. And I thank you. And it's good to see you smiling. So Tony, thank you very much. I hug you from afar. You've heard it a million times over COVID. Uh, and uh, uh, go to Dr. Hannigan. Get your vaccine. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, Box X. So, and uh, and uh, read a paperback book and everything will be all right. <laughs> That's so, your life sort of uh, Here, there's an extra verse, but there always is an extra chorus as well. So, yeah. So drink up, be merry. And Tony, when you're out in tour, we hopefully see you soon. Give yourself a round of applause. Thank you very much. Should we end with a tree of life? A oh, tree of life. This is going to be like both of our I should say at this stage that Tony is as deadly as a tree of life. <laughs>